0: Well, please uh, turn your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. As Phil already mentioned, would encourage you to come back this evening for our, our Sunday evening service. It's going to be a very special night in the life of our family. It's kind of important for uh, us to, to be here for some of these conversations we're going to be having over the next few months, so I'd encourage you to come to to uh, all, all of our Sunday evening services, well, just in general, but especially over the, the next few, uh, few months. This Sunday night, we're going to be talking about the future, um, biblically, what God says about the future, also called eschatology, the, the study of what God teaches us about uh, the future, about end times, and so we're going to be discussing those things. We're also going to be uh, discussing the Constitution and bylaws and some of the changes that are we're, we're proposing there. And there'll be a, uh, a QA session uh, next month to kind of further, if you're, you any know, other further questions you have on, on those changes. And then in April, we'll be voting on approving those changes and our budget for the next year and so forth. Um, also, this evening, we're going to be Uh, Voting on new members, and so welcoming them into our our family. And then we're also going to be talking about the building, and and Mike prayed for the the building earlier, and uh, we're going to be talking, we're going to be asking actually for you to affirm spending some money on uh, design and and architecture and things like that, and so we would uh, love to come, love you to come and and kind of share where we're at in this this stage of, of that ministry. And would again just encourage you uh, to be in prayer for that. It's it's a big thing to be considering a lot of plans, and and, and honestly, there are a, a lot of different uh, a lot of different options that uh, are kind of on the table right now as, as we're kind of thinking through things. And so, uh, just be praying. And and honestly, um, all the all the options are are options that could be good. You know, there's, so it's hard to know sometimes how. How to, how to pick one, and I'm confident that as we we pick a direction as a church, as a building committee, as elders, as deacons, that uh, that there'll be a lot of joy in it. But but getting to that point can be can be a little bit of a challenge. So uh, it's it's uh, it's a joyful time, but a challenging time. So so pray for those conversations. We'll have some tonight, and I know the building committee is meeting tomorrow, and the elders are meeting in the, end of the month. So there's a lot of things coming up on that, and so please please be in prayer. And please be giving input and ha- being a part of those conversations yourself. And uh, yeah, and again, just we're going to be voting on approving the expenditure of some funds that are, that are above our budget. And so we need the, the church's approval on those. So this isn't a uh, approval for an entire budget, but it's a budget to continue to go forward on that. So please come to that uh, this evening. Galatians 3. We're in Galatians 3. And we're, we've, we've just read about uh, the, the first part of chapter 3, we, we've talked about uh, the relationship with Abraham and faith, and, and the, the righteous living by faith, and now we're in verse 15. And so if you would stand with me, if you're able to, in honor of God, as we read his word together, Galatians chapter 3. Beginning of verses fifteen, we're looking at verses fifteen through eighteen together this morning. Paul writes, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we would ask uh, for you to be kind to us this morning. Lord, as we think about your, your blessings, about your promised blessing, we pray that you would help us to, to think very biblically and very carefully about what this means for us and our lives. And we thank you for the blessings that we have in your son Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. We use the word blessed pretty frequently in our evangelical Christian speak person asks you how, how how'd the game go I, I heard you heard you won the game and how do we respond yeah we, yeah I'm very blessed we, we did win or I, I heard that you got a new job congratulations yeah'm I'm, I'm blessed how are things going I'm just just blessed, and normally when we use that word blessed, we're, we're talking about something that is positive in our life that has happened, and, and that's not an inappropriate way to, to use that word. But it's, it's more rare for us to respond to negative circumstances and use the word blessed. So a person says, yeah, I heard, I heard that you didn't do well on the test. Yeah, I'm just really blessed, really blessed. Heard that you got fired. Yeah, hashtag blessed, you know good. Heard you had health scare. Heard there was a, a bad diagnosis. I'm really sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. And, and yet the reality is, is this. The reality is that for the believer, both the believer who receives a promotion and the believer who's just been fired from her job are, are both blessed. The believer who's just received good health news, and the believer who is on their deathbed, both believers are, are blessed, both have received the fullness of the blessing of the gift of Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to be the, the word police here this morning and, 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 and criticize people for their use of the word blessed, but I, I do think it's important that we think biblically about this word blessed, about the idea of, of blessing and about what God has promised us when it says that God has promised us blessing. You see, if we don't understand what blessing means biblically, it could lead us in some very unhelpful paths spiritually. In other words, a person can be in a circumstance and bad things can be happening to them and they can ask the question, why is God not blessing me? Because they don't understand what blessing is and they don't understand how God's blessing is received. They can look at themselves and bad circumstances and say, well, why is God not blessing me? What have I I done wrong? Why, Why isn't God choosing to bless me right now? And that can be a very bad place for us to be spiritually because we don't understand what blessing is biblically. We don't understand how blessing is received biblically. And so we ask, why is God not blessing us? Or conversely, We could find ourselves in an an easy place, a place of of comfort and ease, and we can say, God is, is blessing me. And yet we don't understand what blessing is, and we don't understand how blessing is received, and so we just assume because we're in a comfortable, easy life, God must be blessing us. Not recognizing that, that currently we're, we're working a job we shouldn't be working, working hours we shouldn't be working, we're, we're greedy, we're selfish, we're materialistic, and really we're looking around and saying, God, God must be pleased with me because he's blessing me so much. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about together this morning. All that God promises me, all the blessings that God promised me, all of God's promises for me, are fulfilled in his gift of his son, Jesus Christ. All that God promises me is fulfilled in his gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So yes, it's true that God has promised blessing for believers. It's it's true that, that God has good things in store for us. But if we don't understand that the ultimate thing that God has provided us is found only in his son, Jesus Christ, and that's the all other blessings come from that. We are going to lead ourselves into some places spiritually that do not glorify God. So here's what I want to do. I want us to walk through this passage. And we may have read the passage together quickly this morning. And, and you kind of said, well, I have no idea. What is what is all this saying? What is Paul getting at? What's his argument? We're going to walk through the progression that Paul goes through in this passage to help us understand what he's saying. And then we're going to think about the implications for us as we think about God's blessings and about his his promised blessing, okay? So here's the first thing. Let's talk about Paul's explanation of why the law cannot bring blessing, okay? And here's the first part of his argument. The first part of his argument, the first kind of step that he he takes here is this. People, he says, cannot break or change a covenant once it has been agreed to. Look Look at the text with me if you're not already there. He says this in verse 15, this is the first kind of plank in his, in, his, in his thing that he's constructing here, the first step in his argument. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. And so Paul begins here with a comparison from the human world to the divine world, from the, the lesser to the greater is the, the nature of the argument that he's making here. If, if this is true for humanity, how much more true must it be for God? If it's true that in the human realm, once we enter into an agreement, it's it's wrong or unethical to to break that agreement, how much more so is that true for God? When we enter into a human covenant or a human will or or testament or or contract, a relationship, we, we... come to terms, and then we enter in an agreement, and for someone to come back and say, you know what, uh, I know I said I would do this, but now I don't want to do that. Or if we said, I, I know I, I agreed to this, but I want to just walk away from that, that would be wrong. You can't do that. You can't annul or or alter an agreement, or you're in violation of that agreement. When we were in Texas for my dad's funeral, after the, the funeral, my mom uh, brought the the four siblings and our spouses into their bedroom, and she pulled out their their will or my dad's will, and she said, "Hey, I want to read you the will." And um, so she kind of obviously he leaves everything to, to mom, and, but he kind of has a couple special gifts for each of the children. And so he said, "You know, to 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 my favorite son Daniel." He didn't say that, but to to Daniel, I, I leave my my wedding ring and and um, my pocket knife. I leave this pocket knife to Daniel, and this one to Andrew, this one, Matthew, Emily. And then he and then he said at one point he goes and and to my my, uh, and my guns I leave to and I felt Whitney beside me go ah! and and he goes to my, my manly sons Andrew and Matthew and and, and uh, he didn't really say that but I, Whitney audibly goes oh thank goodness you know yeah. now it was the subtext um. Now, how wrong would it be for someone to come back and, and alter my dad's will? Right. It'd be unethical and illegal. There's, there's times for that to take place, but once, once a will has been notarized, signed, and then once a, a person has died, that, that, that covenant's in effect, that to, testimony, the, the will is in effect, and you can't alter it, you can't annul it without doing something wrong or illegal. And what Paul is saying here, look, if it's true in the human realm, we recognize that in the human realm, how much more true is it for human beings? That's that's the first part of his argument. It's, It's wrong to break or change a covenant. Now here's the second part of his argument, verse 16. The second part of his argument is that God made a covenant. God made a promise to Abraham, and that promise was to bring blessing through the Christ, through the Messiah. Now this this is kind of a hard verse, but let me read it and kind of and we're going to kind of unpack it throughout throughout Scripture how this idea kind of is, play, plays out through Scripture. But here's here's the verse. He says in verse sixteen. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Now couple of questions that we have as we come to this verse. Okay, what is this promise that he's talking about? And 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 what does it mean when he's drawing the contrast between offsprings and offspring, plural versus singular? And what does it mean that he's saying that, that Christ is the offspring? Well, let's remember this is this is why we went through the Pentateuch before we went through Galatians, but let's remember what he said In Genesis, and if you want to turn back there, you you can. But I'm I'm going to read it as well. And so Genesis chapter 12, we kind of have this this this, these are chapters we've turned to a lot, and we'll continue to turn through as we go through Galatians. But remember, the first promise comes in Genesis chapter 12, as God tells Abraham, "Look, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you, and and those who are associated with you are going to receive blessing. Those who uh, curse you or are going to be cursed. Then you come into chapter 15, and as you come into chapter 15, he con- confirms this this agreement. And as you begin chapter 15, there's a problem with Abraham's offspring. He doesn't have any offspring yet. And so he says, well, God, maybe, maybe you just meant that, and he just kind of pulls the guy, maybe this guy is going to be my, my heir. And God says, no, 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 there's going to be a, a specific offspring. You're going to have a son, and that son is going to be your heir. And He says uh, that eventually all, this blessing is going to magnify itself. And uh, look at all the numbers of the stars, if you're able to number them. And he says, so shall your offspring be. And we come to verse 6. It says that Abraham believes the Lord. And God counted that belief to him as righteousness. Then you go into chapter 17. And in chapter 17, you see that Abram is continuing childless, and God appears before Abram and says, I'm I'm the Lord Almighty, walk before me and and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you you greatly. And so this this promise, God is continuing a promise to bless Abram, and this this promise is contains with it the idea that there are going to be multiple offspring. There's going to be a, a, a blessing that happens to, to many, and yet at the same time, there's a particular focus on, on an individual as you come into chapter 17 and, and 15. There's a focus on an individual, an individual heir. Says to God, God says to Abram in verse 4 of 17, My covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And so, there's an expansiveness to the pro- to the promise, but then it also it also becomes more narrow. He says in verse fifteen. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. And so, as you go, and then you come into chapter 18, and and there's this, this promised son. So, in other words, what Paul is saying, as he draws from the story in Genesis, he said, look, God made a promise to Abram, and it was to bring blessing And the blessing was going to have global impact. It was going to have impact over nations and and, and kingdoms. And yet, at the same time, there was an understanding that this was going to come through a single offspring. There was a focus on a single descendant, on Isaac. And Isaac, of course, being a, a picture of the ultimate descendant, Jesus and then as you, you trace through this throughout the Old Testament, you see more examples of this singular focus. So David, for, for example, becomes this singular focus, this, this promised seed through whom another offspring is going to come, an ultimate king. So, for example, you come to the New Testament, you see this idea continues that there's this there's this future coming one who's going to, to be the, the embodiment of the promises that God has made to offspring, this future uh, to, to Abraham, the promises that God has made to Abraham, this future offspring is going to be the ultimate recipient of them. And it's Jesus. Acts thirteen. For example, Paul is preaching in Antioch and Pisidia and he goes to the synagogue, and here in Acts chapter thirteen, he he talks to the, to the Jews about the promises that God has made to His people. He says, "The God of this people Israel chose our fathers, and He made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, He led them out of it. And for about forty years, He put up with them in the wilderness. And he and." Uh, After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. They asked for a king, and he talks about Saul. And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has made to Israel a savior, just as he promised. There's the the promised blessing, the singular offspring. He says in verse 26, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no Guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we're witnesses to his resurrection. And it says, and we bring you the good news, the gospel, that what God promised to the fathers has, has been fulfilled in Christ. It talks about how David prophesied the coming of, of Jesus. Now, now, what does all this mean? It means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. In fact, he's the blessing and he's also the offspring to whom the blessing has been promised. He's the one who's going to bring about the blessing and he's also the, the descendant of Abraham who receives the blessing. So, God made a promise. God can't break promises. God made a promise to Abraham to bring blessing and to give it to an offspring. And now you have Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the one that's, the prom- that's, going- that's promised the blessing. And he's also the one who brings about the blessing. Now, now how can both those things be? My, my dad, whenever he uh, used to go to White Elephant Gifts, white elephant gift exchanges he would always he would always bring a white elephant gift that he wanted to get and he would do all he could to to get it back for himself you know here jesus is the one who is promised the gift and he's the one who provides the gift now, Paul makes a huge point here. He, he's very intent on saying, look, this, this isn't a promise that's to, to many people. It's, it's a promise that's made to his offspring. This, this promise comes about, yeah, there's, there's going to be national, international benefits, but it's, it's a promise made to, to one individual. It's a, a promise to Abraham and to his, to his offspring, who's, who's Christ. Now, think about it. Is it a problem for us that God says that this... Inheritance is for one person. In other words, Paul's saying it's not to offsprings, it's not to a lot of people, it's to one, the Christ, the Messiah. Is that a problem for us? In one sense, the answer is yes. Because if you here's here's the promises God made to Abraham, and there are, there are amazing promises. There's this kingdom that God is, is promising to his people, but it's but it's to one offspring. The problem is it's it's not promised to us. the good news the good news is that we receive the promise through the one that it's promised to here's how what else paul says paul says in romans 4 abraham is, is justified by not works but faith paul says that david speaks of the blessing that's given to those who don't work but believe in god who justifies the faith justifies the ungodly by faith Paul would go on in Romans 4 and says, um, this is why receiving the promise depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the inheritance of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. So Paul's point here is, look, um, th- this promise is made, t- God makes the promise to Abraham, to, but it's not a promise to receive it through works, it's a promise to receive it through the Christ. God made a promise to Abraham to bring blessing through the Christ. And what that means is that we get all of our blessing not on the basis of our connection to Abraham by our works, but the only way that we're going to receive blessing is by being connected to who? To Christ. God made a promise, and God can't break promises. God promised to bless Abraham, but he promised to bless Abraham's descendant, the offspring. The offspring is the one to get the blessing. In other words, there is no other way that we can get connected to the blessing of Abraham except to be connected to this guy. There's there's no other path. He's the one who's promised everything. He's the one who receives it. If you want God's promises and his blessing, there's, there's no other path that you can take to get there. There's no other road back to the Abrahamic Blessing. We've been going on a lot of uh, college visits this year uh, with Hannah. Uh, still haven't decided on a college. Pray for us. Uh, l- long journey here. Whenever we go on college campus visits, uh, oftentimes there are, there are some perks. You know, They, they give you a, a nice lunch, sit down in a nice office, and talk to you about how wonderful you are and things like that. Uh, but if if I were just to show up on the last week we're at Drake University, if I were just to show up on the university campus there and make myself at home in the cafeteria and start eating their food and sitting there in their classes, uh, people would look at me as an older man and say, uh, "Excuse me, sir, oh, what are you doing here?" Hey, I was, I was here last week, and you're okay with it? Yeah. What? Oh, well, I was here last week with my daughter. Yeah. Well. We are okay with your daughter being here. Um, and the reason we tolerated your presence on campus is because you're connected to her. We want her and your money, but we want her. And and uh, you, you, you get to come along and receive some of the You get the free lunch because you're connected to her, not because we just think you're wonderful. Right? As we enter into the promises of God, it's not on the basis of our own works or our own efforts or our connection back to Abraham. We receive God's blessings only only because we're connected to Christ. People can't break or change a covenant, neither can God. That's verse 15. God made a promise to Abraham to bring blessing through Christ. That's verse 16. Now we come to verse 17. The third thing we see is this. The law can't contradict or change the promise God already made. Okay. So God promised God makes a promise to Abraham and the promise is I'm going to bless your offspring, okay? But there's going to be a, a blessing come promises come. It's to your offspring Christ. Now, that's here. Now there's a, between the time of the patriarchs The time of the Exodus, there's 430 years or so, and and at the end of that, so here's Abraham, here's Jesus, here's Moses. At this time, the law is given, and uh, he he says, "This is what I mean." Verse 17: The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. So. So here comes the law, and, and the law, when it comes, because, because a promise has been given, the law can't come along and, and annul or change it. So you know what? I, I know what I said back there, but you know, I really like this Moses guy, and I'm really into the law. And so the promise that I made just can we forget it? God can't do that. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember um, CD players? Anyone? How many of you ever? How many of you ever bought CDs via the mail? Like there were those little advertisements that would come and say, "Hey, if you buy buy ten CDs for a dollar," and you're like, "Well, buy ten CDs for a dollar. That sounds like a great deal." And and I, I did it when I was in high school. And I I, I saw that it also said, "And buy." whatever it was, you know, five more over the next year at full price. And I was, ah, that sounds like forever from now. So, you know, I signed up for the CDs and, found, you know, looked at the catalog and picked out 10 CDs and they came and I paid the dollar. And, and then, um, then I started getting these, these reminders. Hey, uh, just so you know, you need to buy five more CDs over the next year, or six more, whatever it was. And I started thinking about it and I looked at the prices and, and full price was like $105 or, you know, some, something, maybe $20 or but for a high schooler, it was a lot of money, and so I, I remember. Uh, I, th- I think, I, th- I think I called, or, or did I, there was no email, so it must have been some sort of phone conversation where, um, you know, it's it's me calling and hey, um, I was wondering um, if you're serious about me having to to purchase five CDs at full price. Yeah, we're we're pretty serious. Yeah, well. My circumstances have changed since I agreed to do that. Really, how so? I no longer want to do it. You know, I <laughs> I'd like to do something different now. Sir, that's not really a valid reason to get out of a con. Well, what if I really don't have a lot of money? You know, nope, that's not gonna work, right? The law. The law can't come along, and and this is God we're talking about. He can't uh, give us the law and, and contradict something else that he's promised earlier. So the law can't be another means to get the promise. The law, understand what he's saying here, the law can't be a means to get the promise that God gave to Abraham. So if we're here in the future... God made a promise in the past to bless through Christ. We've come into Christ. We can't say, well, now, now I can also take the law and get the blessing. No, the, bl- the law can't annul or change or change the terms of how the promise is received. If Abraham can get the promise, be connected to the promise apart from the law, and all the people before the law can't come along and change those things. Here's a fourth thing. Follow his logic here, so... People can't break or change a covenant. God made a promise. The law can't contradict or or change the promise God made. And the fourth thing we see is this. If the blessing comes by the law, it no longer comes by God's gracious promise through faith in Christ. I've already already said that, but look at verse 18. It says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And this is the the key point to grasp how this works. If the blessing or inheritance is going to come through a means other than what God promised, God is violated what he promised to do. So, here's the fifth thing connected to the fourth thing. Therefore, okay, this is where it kind of all ties together. Therefore, the blessing cannot come from the law, but only, only, only through faith in the promised Christ. Do you want to achieve God's blessing? Do you want to achieve the blessings of the inheritance of God? There is no means by which you can arrive at the blessings of God apart from faith in the promised Christ. And there is no other blessing that God gives that can come through any other means, ultimately. Now, this whole whole logical flow that, that Paul has been developing here, God uh, or human, You can't break a contract. Um, God made a promise, a covenant. So you can't break a covenant. God made a promise. God made a covenant. The law can't contradict what God covenanted to do. Um, if a blessing comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. This whole flow of Paul's thought only works if you believe that God will not lie and if you believe that all of these promises that God made are fulfilled in Christ. If you believe that God is a liar, Paul's logic falls apart. If Christ isn't your promised blessing, then then what Paul is saying here doesn't work. So let's think through some principles. Here's here's some principles regarding the promises of God that, that may help us. Number one, first principle is this. If you call something a blessing, that doesn't necessarily mean that God has has promised it to you. So, here's the logical flow that sometimes people go through. They say, well, um, I know that God has promised to bless his people. So, Romans 8 uh, 28, I I know that says that all things work together for good for those who love love God and are called according to his purpose. And so, um, I know God blesses his people, right? And um, A new job would be a nice blessing. You know, being involved in a a relationship would be a, a nice blessing. And so um, I'm going to I'm going to claim this blessing because God promises blessing. I, I hear people talk that way very often as as we're, we're talking about their life, and a person will bring me a plan and say, oh, "I just have this sense that God's going to bless me with this job, or or God's going to bless me with this relationship, or God is going to bless me with this financial windfall." And churches do this too. You know, God is going to to bless us with with this big thing and this this materialistic thing, and and it's. Just because you call something a blessing, you take something that you like and give the label blessing to it, that doesn't mean that God has promised it to you. And yet what's the reality? Many people are are disappointed, they're discouraged, their their faith is shaken when, when difficult things come into their life. Look, I thought God loved me. I thought God loved me and yet here's this blessing and he's denying it to me. What does the scripture say? Listen to Romans 5. Romans 5 says, look, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. So how do you receive God's blessing? Through Christ. How do you, how do you receive the blessings through Christ? Through faith alone. But what's the result? Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in what? What does he say? We rejoice in our our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put, put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And so if I have a faulty understanding of blessing, I'm going to say, look, I I, I believe that God wants me to succeed in this business deal. I want. I believe that God wants me to succeed in this test, in this athletic endeavor. And and when he does that, I'll know that I've found favor with him and I've received his blessing. And yet in reality, what does scripture say? Look, all of our blessings are found in the person of Jesus Christ. And just because you label something a blessing doesn't mean that it's something that God has promised you. He is fulfilled all the blessings that you could ever desire in his son Jesus and actually suffering and difficulty and oppression and affliction can be signs of God's blessing on your life and we rejoice in those things. Here's a second thing to think about, a second principle. Number one, if you read a promise in the Bible, that doesn't necessarily mean that God has promised it to you. And this is just some basic Bible study method things we have to sometimes think about. We're reading through our Bible, and we, we read a, a passage where it, it's God making a promise to a specific individual or the, to the people of Israel about a certain uh, aspect of what he promises them. And we say, well, look, God has promised this to them, therefore he's promised the same thing to me. And that's simply not necessarily true. There are certainly principles we can derive from that. We can see things about God's character. But in terms of saying, okay, this specific blessing applies to me, that's, that's faulty Bible reading. When I was in college, I worked at a bookstore, and it was like at the height of the prayer of Jabez craze. I don't remember the, the prayer of Jabez, but it's this passage in Second Chronicles where Jabez pray, plays, prays for land, and God gives him land. And so this whole book was about praying, and God will give you these things. And look, um, that's, that's not how we see Scripture working. That's not rightly understanding who different passages are written to. You come to Deuteronomy 28, seven, and you read, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you and say, I'm going to claim that promise. I myself made that hermeneutical mistake when I was in fifth grade and got beat up. But um, <laughs> There's disappointed people because they see a promise made to the people of Israel. They interpret it, okay, that, that must mean I, I'm going to receive this exact land blessing or, or victory in, in this specific area. And look, Scripture has plenty of promises for us. But... We need to be careful that we look rightly at what God is saying to us and and not just assume that because we see something in Scripture applies directly to us in that way. Number three, if you want to receive number three, if you want to receive God's blessing, they are promised through faith alone and not by works. If you want to receive God's blessings, those are received and they're, they're promised only through faith and not by works. Now, I want to be careful here. There are, of course, some blessings that we receive through sustained obedience, but but even that obedience is not a means by which we receive the blessing. We continue to turn to Christ. Everything we have is in Christ. Then a fourth promise here. Fourth promise. If you seek a blessing, if, if you're seeking a blessing that's not fulfilled, in the person of Christ, you're pursuing something that God has not promised you, and it's not a blessing. If you're setting your heart on something, and and that something is not something that can be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, that's not a blessing. It's not something that God has promised to you. I encourage you just to meditate on, on these, these truths of Scripture. Can you think of something this morning to say, you know what, as I think, if you were to ask me, Daniel, what do you want right now? And, and I were to, to begin to say some things that my heart is, is yearning after, and I said, you yeah, I'm going to be blessed in this way and in this way. If, if, I can, if I can articulate things that are not ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ, what does that say about where my, my heart is? If you could say, okay, if God could do one thing in your life right now, what would it be? And if you could give an answer that's not something that's found in the person of Jesus Christ, what does that say about your desires? It says they're idolatrous. It's not that it's not that having a nice job is a bad thing, or having friends is a bad thing, or or, or the material things that God gives us that we're not grateful for. Those things, of course, we are. But what we do as believers, we say, look. My blessings, my, my blessings are are found in the person of Jesus Christ. The things that I desire with my heart are and in terms of my ultimate desire, all those things can be fulfilled in one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. You give me Jesus, I have everything. You take away Jesus, I lose everything and have nothing. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? The answer to that question is not dependent upon the amount of your material possessions. It's not not dependent upon the state of your emotional happiness or even well-being. It's found ultimately in the provision of the promised offspring, the one who's receiving all the blessings, our, our union with him. Am I blessed? Well, am I in Christ Am I united with the one who has promised all things? And if I am, if I'm united with him through faith, not through my works, but through faith alone, then the answer is absolutely, 100%, I am blessed because all that God promises me, all the blessings that God promises me are fulfilled in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for the reality that all that we can need or have or yearn for is found in Jesus and in him alone. We pray that by your grace we would be obedient. We pray that by your grace we would do the things you've called us to do. And We pray that we rejoice in times of abundance and in times of lack, in times of sorrow and in times of joy that we would say, blessed be your name, because in you we find all that we need and all that we can ever hope for. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.